Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 282, I discuss my journey of learning and discovery about our First Nations people and how, as a non-Indigenous Australian, I can respectfully recognise and celebrate their cultures. I share my personal experiences, conversations I've had, and useful resources I've found as I try to improve my understanding and empathy for the perspectives of our First Nations people. As Australia Day rolls around again and conversations about this topic fire up, these links and tools may help provide alternative perspectives. They may help you feel more confident to walk with our First Nations people in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. This is my version of Be The Drop that joins the waterfall of passionate Australians seeking to constitutionally recognise our First Nations voice. Before starting today's episode, I acknowledge that the land on which I am recording is the traditional lands for the Kaurna people. I acknowledge the Kaurna people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Kaurna people today. I also pay respects to their elders, past, present and future. Acknowledgement of country is a good starting place in a discussion about respecting our First Nations cultures. As the acknowledgement is something that can be delivered by non-Indigenous Australians and it is an act of respect to traditional owners and their continuing connection to country. As a side note, I have been asked or I've heard people ask, how is the acknowledgement different to the welcome to country? So the difference there is that the welcome to country can only be delivered by traditional owners or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have been given permission from traditional owners to welcome visitors to their country. Um, if you want to know more about that, Reconciliation Australia have got really great information about acknowledgement of country and welcome to country, including why they are important and variations of how you might participate in them. So I'll include a link to the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Now, I'd like to take a step back for a moment as I've dived straight into tools uh, that you can access and Reconciliation Australia has a huge range of really useful tools that you can freely access. But before sharing some of the other resources that I'd like to discuss and the conversations and people whose books I recommend, I'd like to tell you a bit more about my story and how this has led me to realise why as a non-Indigenous Australian, I need to step up in this space. I get it though, we're tired. Um, the last couple of years have been hard for many of us. Uh, the pandemic has thrown a lot of uncertainty and division within community. So it, it is an exhausting time. So I don't want this episode to be seen as preachy or judgmental or to add to that burden. I'm hoping that it's informative and potentially useful. And I like the idea of celebrating being an Australian. I feel lucky to live in this country and this beautiful place on earth. 
but I feel that to celebrate being an Australian, we really need to recognise and better acknowledge the history and how that history is still impacting in you know, significant ways our First Nations people. I feel uncomfortable celebrating that notion of being Australian without doing that. Um, so that's where I come from in my position on this. I'm also conscious of the burden of responsibilities on minority groups. I remember interviewing Hannah Brown as part of Transcending the Gender Narrative documentary. And at the time, she was the chief storyteller at Samri and a female in science. She's also um, a female who is in same-sex relationships. So she was really, you know, she was ticking boxes for minorities. And she said to me, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by trying to be the voice and be the representative and be the person that is advocating for more rights for people, women within these groups. And it really struck me, I, that really resonated with me, that minority groups are minority by nature. They're smaller, there's less of them. So that burden to be the voice advocating for change weighs heavier on them because there's less of them. So that is a point that I want to make in that I want to try and share that burden. Um, our First Nations people in Australia are a minority group. They are smaller in number, but their connection to this country is years and years, thousands, tens of thousands of years, you know, 60,000 plus years longer than other Australians here in this country. So I feel like we certainly have a responsibility to share that burden for this minority group. So, you know, we're all feeling tired. We're exhausted. Um, minority groups at this time are probably feeling that pinch and the weight even more strongly. So I'm not asking you to necessarily listen to this episode and then become a proactive activist and doing massive things because as I've recognised, we've got a lot on our plates. What I'm saying is that we can each take steps. We can start small and because if together we each take steps, the movement and momentum of our united approach will have a much greater impact. But I did say I didn't want to be too preachy and I'm concerned I might be moving into that space. It is a tendency that I can sometimes have. So I want to step back again. Let's try and keep this informative and I want to share some tools and my experiences on trying to understand, trying to be a better Australian as a non-Indigenous Australian and support our, our First Nations peoples. So a huge turning point. For me, in my story, and I have shared this in um, other episodes and in blogs on my website, came about in Broken Hill. And I spent time living and working and just loving life in Broken Hill during 2006 to 2009. It was an incredible experience and a great time. One of the roles I had whilst there was as the literacy coordinator for the Broken Hill Regional Writers' Centre working for the local council. Uh, it was such a fabulous role. I really, really enjoyed that and it was one of those jobs where I thought, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Part of the work that I did there was rolling out a program in Indigenous literacy or a number of programs and we received federal funding as well as some state and local funding to run those programs. 
I ran elements of those programs in Broken Hill and working with a fabulous organisation called uh, Indigenous organisation in Broken Hill called Marimar. And they were really successful, really enjoyable. The kids were really engaged. It, you know, it was, I really um, valued that experience. I then went to Menindi and worked there with the school and a teacher there, Sunny, who was just sensational. Um, and, you know, there were slightly more challenges in Menindi from a literacy because our criteria was literacy. It was a literacy-based program that we were running. The results there were a little bit harder, a little bit more work to get, but still it was fabulous, a lot of fun. Then I went to Wilcannia. I had two Indigenous artists and authors with me and we were there to roll out the program at the local school. And we went to the school, we're working with students in year eight and nine. So they're probably about 13, 14 years old. We started rolling the, you know, we ran through, it was a, you know, an interactive program and we did some um, spoken word poetry and we did a bit of um, games and interaction before then asking the students to write some of their own content. The students were saying, nah, shame, shame is shame. We, we can't, we're not going to do that. So they were using the word shame and, and what they meant was that they were ashamed to do that and that was because many of them couldn't read and write. They had very, very basic levels, probably on equivalent to year one, maybe year two, reading levels that we would um, grade, you know, in regional, like in cities in Australia. That was incredibly confronting to me. And I felt this terrible burden that what I was asking these children to do made them feel ashamed. And and that made me feel horrific. Um, All three of us, we, we walked away. We went back to where we were staying and we were just like, that was the most terrible experience. Um, what, what, what have we just been a part of? This education delivery system in Wilcannia was not working. It did not connect with these children and it actually made them feel bad. And so we decided to go to the youth community centre where a lot of the kids would go after school the community youth centres in, in many of these outback towns in Australia are incredible. They often have buses and they might pick up the kids and then drop them off, you know, pick up the kids to take them to school. They offer food um, and a range of support that these um, young Indigenous kids need. And we went to the youth centre and the kids were there and they came up to us and the same these same children that had been in the classroom and we were there in their space, um, you know, in a, an environment where they felt comfortable and they were telling us these incredible stories. They, you know, they had us in stitches. They were laughing. They were fun. They were engaged. They were like different people. And it was like such an eye-opening experience. I went back to my room, the hotel room that night in Wilcannia, and I bawled. I sobbed and sobbed and I I still get emotional talking about it. You can probably hear it in my voice. It really hit home. 
And I had been working and delivering this Indigenous literacy program for a year, a year and a half before I got to Kenya. And it was a shocking realisation that even after a year and a half, I still didn't have a clue. I still didn't truly understand the depth of disadvantage that many of our First Nations people face and how that made them feel. Those children felt ashamed. And that's not how we want Australian children to feel. So I left Wilcannia and thought, well, I don't want to be a part of that problem. But I didn't know how to be part of the solution. I didn't know how to manifest that intention. And really it took me some years to come to terms with it as well. You know, I had to unpack my bias, um, unconscious bias and, and lack of knowledge. You know, I thought I was, um, I thought I had empathy and compassion towards Indigenous Australians. But I didn't have that lived experience. So, and this is a challenge because for many Australians, non-Indigenous Australians who are living in the city and outside of regional areas where you may not have a lot of contact um, with First Nations people, you might not, you know, you are missing that element of lived experience unless you've travelled through regional Australia and met with and spoken to Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander Australians, then you may be missing that piece of the puzzle which for me was the most impactful piece. So then, you know, I decided that I needed to try and find ways to build on and share this experience that I've had. How could I do that? How as one person with my small experience, my small knowledge, how do I share that? So... Obviously, for me, one of the ways that I can share stories is through this podcast. So I have specifically sought out people to speak to and um, in First Nations people to interview and looked for places to start understanding this story. And in my opinion, and one of the most enlightening um, things that I've found in that journey as a non-Indigenous Australian, is the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So that statement was crafted at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention with contribution and agreement from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes from across Australia. And there are many, many different First Nations countries within Australia. So this and this statement is a collective statement from those nations from our First Nations people. And this statement delivers a very clear call to action. As a non-Indigenous Australian, it's not our place to tell First Nations people what's best for them. Our role is to listen and support what they articulate as their key needs. And the Uluru Statement from the Heart does that. So you can 
go to the UluruStatement.org website. There is a huge raft of details, including their Frequently Asked Questions page, which I think is really informative and a great place if you've got questions or gaps in your knowledge that you want to fill and want to become better informed on. So I strongly encourage you to read the statement. It's not long, but it is certainly impactful. As I mentioned, as an individual, I've made a conscious effort to speak within Interview First Nations people. And when I can do, I actually go out of my way to make these opportunities happen. So, for example, when I heard that Thomas Mayer was speaking at the Adelaide Writers' Festival in 2020, I directly contacted him. I found his details online and asked him if I could interview him for for the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to him about his recently released book, Finding the Heart of the Nation. Um, There's a link to that interview in the show notes. And in that, he recites from heart, from by heart. And in that, he recites by heart the Uluru Statement. So, um, you know, he's got that first lived experience of being at the convention when that statement was created. He and his book, Finding the Heart of the Nation, was motivated from that experience of being at that convention. And he has gone around and captured a range of stories um, from First Nations people from across Australia. And they are beautiful. Beautiful. It is beautifully presented. The book is amazing. I'd also recommend um, getting yourself a copy. At that Adelaide Writers Festival in 2020, I also had the privilege of listening to the amazing Professor Megan Davis. She is so incredibly knowledgeable. Um, And if you're not already familiar with her, look her up, um, read to or listen to her work. She has also released, uh, recently released a book um, that she co-authored with George Williams called Everything You Need to Know About the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So there's plenty of resources around that statement and, you know, lots of information that you can gain. So I encourage you to think about as an individual, you know, how can you become involved in this journey? Uh, What could you read or listen to? Who could you speak to? Who could you connect with? What are the small steps that you can take to start being part of this journey? The Uluru Statement invites all Australians to walk together in this journey. So just thinking about what are the steps you can take Um, Again, just start small. Uh, Through my business as well, I've also had the opportunity to work with passionate organisations who are doing doing the work, taking effort to walk with First Nations people and to create this better future for all Australians. I have done over a number of years a lot of work with Sarah Constructions, which is an incredible South Australian organisation. In 2019, they embarked on their RAP plan, which is a reconciliation action plan. Uh, details of that, of what that is and how your business might be able to go about that is on the Reconciliation Australia website. But that process and being part of that and working with Sarah through that Um, And that is an ongoing journey that Sarah Constructions are going on. In 2020, I also had the opportunity to work with the Adelaide Hills Council and the Mount Mount Barker District Council for the Adelaide Hills Reconciliation Group to create a video for Reconciliation Week. And that covered stories from Indigenous 
and non-Indigenous Australians within the area working to create more opportunity for the community to become engaged, for the community to learn and for there to be a cultural transfer and sharing of the Paramank and Ghana people which cover those areas. So I encourage you to think about ways how your work might be able to become involved in this journey. You know, is it services that you can deliver or a way that your organisation may be involved or engaging with traditional owners for a connection to country. The final area where I see exciting and meaningful change in this space is through my children. At my eldest son's school, they acknowledge traditional lands at every assembly. They engage an Indigenous artist to paint a mural at the school which the students were involved with and the artist talked about what the elements of that artwork were and what they represented culturally. And the history that he has been taught is vastly different than what it was when I went to school, and thankfully so. And my youngest son, who's just finished kindergarten, he was privileged enough to have regular visits, which included cultural and language immersion from Uncle Tamaru, who is a Ghana elder. And these opportunities will change how future generations understand and interact with our First Nations people. And it's incredibly positive and powerful. You know, it was so wonderful to hear my younger son come home and speak Ghana language to me. I just, it it gives me and gave me goosebumps and made me feel very proud to have that cultural connection for my son. So if your school doesn't already have an active inclusion of elders or connection to country, speak to them. Find out who might be in your area and how you can get them involved in your school or your children's school. So they're just some of my experiences, some of the resources and some of the tools that have helped me that may help you. I'm by no means an expert in this field and there is undoubtedly a huge range of other resources and people doing awesome work in this space. One of them that I can think of as I'm talking is AIME, A-I-M-E. They're the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. Look them up. They are doing incredible things and really making great progress in this space. So if you're not familiar with them, have a look at them. Um, But you know, it, or if there's someone else or other organisations doing awesome work in this space, please let me know. If you're part of one of these organisations or somebody who's doing, you know, great work in helping facilitate these conversations and driving change, I would love you to share that with me. Um, my details are across all of the socials or in this podcast. So reach out to me because I'm on a journey to learn. This is there is no end to my learning journey. This is an ongoing process. And what I believe is that this ongoing process is one that we can walk together in. I believe that we can make change if we unite and support each other. That is at the foundation of what Be The Drop means. If we lean together in our differences, we can achieve great things. Change can feel uncomfortable, but it can also deliver the greatest rewards. And the invitation given to us from the Uluru Statement to be part of a movement of the Australian people for a better future is an incredible opportunity. And I really do hope to walk that with you. 
Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.